on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank. We've got a shorter episode for you. We've got a full Cotton Bowl recap for you guys, and then we preview the college football playoff semifinal matchups with our buddy Andy Staples from The Athletic. And that's it. No segments. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right? I'm man Michael Hostie. We'll kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Thursday, December 31st, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB, making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving to money in moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. Now, we are recording this Early or late? What's the best way to describe that, Ted? It's early, technically early Thursday morning, right? It's technically early Thursday, very early Thursday morning. So we just got back to the hotel, beautiful courtyard Marriott here in Arlington, (laughs) and just got back from to the hotel from the game where we almost uh, locked ourselves in. AT&T Stadium in Arlington somehow, but we we managed to find our way out from the depths of the stadium. Do you regret the decision to record this right now instead of just doing it in the morning? I don't. I don't think so. Talk to me whenever we're done. As of right now, I'm still I'm still flying on that high a little bit from the game. You know, it's kind of hard to wind down. So right now, I still feel okay about it. Yeah, I. I think we're making the right decision. There's okay, some so, things we need to get off our chest tonight, Gabe. Basically, we want to kill Dan Mullen. Not like actually <laughs> kill him, but uh, we're getting to it. Okay, so we've got the Cotton. We're going to recap the Cotton Bowl for you guys. A dominant win for Oklahoma over Florida. And we also have a preview of the college football playoff semifinal games with our buddy Andy Staples from The Athletic. So let, let's get right to it, Ted. Let's recap. That beatdown the Sooners put on the Gators. That's brought to you by Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer. Guys, stop acting like you're too manly and just accept it. Hard seltzers are amazing. There's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast, and that is Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer from Coop Ale Works. It's perfect for any occasion. We drink it by the pool, at the lake, and at the tailgate. 
It's made in Oklahoma, and it is absolutely delicious. Willow Wiley is customized for the Oklahoma lifestyle. Go find it right now in the store near you, and go follow them on social media at at Willem Wiley. If you're drinking some because of us, tag us in your social media posts to let them know. Okay. OU destroys Florida 55-20 to 20 in the Cotton Bowl. And we were all enjoying ourselves, Ted. And then Dan Mullen opened his mouth after the football game. And we knew Florida didn't have all their guys, right? It was well-documented. Everyone knew that. But when the head coach comes out and says things like, quote, the last game this 2020 team played was 11 days ago, he also said, quote, we didn't have to play. And then he says, quote, I thought our scout team guys played well and referenced that multiple times in his postgame comments that they were playing scout team guys. I'm not sure I've ever heard a coach belittle his own team, belittle the opponent, and look like a fucking idiot all in one. It was truly amazing to watch. I yeah, man. I've I've never I've never heard a coach at a program of that stature act like such a child. It's amazing. I mean, there's games whenever you straight up don't play well, and any reputable coach walks up to the mic and says the exact same thing. We didn't have our guys ready to play. We got outcoached. We got outplayed. Simple. That's it. Whether you believe it or not, that's what you say. You don't belittle the other team. You don't take away what they accomplished by going out there and saying the stuff that he did. And that's exactly what he did. And he did it on purpose. And he said those, those are calculated statements by him. And they're not even true, first of all. Those aren't scout team guys that played. You know, Kyle Trask threw three interceptions out there, looked god-awful doing it, okay? So don't give me the, the scout team line. I'll tell you what, if I was the Cotton Bowl and I invited Florida to come play in this game, that's a big deal that we sold to, our, to sponsors, we sold to Goodyear. If I was Goodyear, I'd be pissed that however much money I spent on the sponsorship of this bowl game and apparently this clown coaching one of the teams is going to say that, ah, we played our last game 11 days ago. We don't care. We didn't care about this game. We're playing scout team guys. We didn't even have to come. I'd be pissed off if I was Goodyear. I'd be pissed off if I was the donors or the people at Florida that are paying his salary, right? I'd, I'd be, I would just be furious with this guy. And it makes me so mad because we never should have played him in the first place. We should have been playing Texas A&M. I agree. I, I I think that, and you know, we we talked about not having a full grasp of how the bowl selections work and all those things, and a lot of people were shocked. I got so many comments like, "You guys don't know exactly how the bowls work." I was like, "No, not really. I don't not, care either." Yeah, uh, uh, we just show up and we'll see who OU plays. That's kind of how we work. But I, I do want to talk about the game because it pisses me off that. And I guess I'm guilty of it too, bringing it up first, but 
what he said after the game is going to take away from what Oklahoma did on the field. And that should be the story. Oklahoma prepared well for a tough opponent that, yes, didn't play all their guys, but they showed up. They played well. They played with energy. They played a lot of guys, and they dominated the football game. Like That's what you do when you are trying to be one of the elite of elite programs in college football. You don't say, you know what? We played our last game 11 days ago. I mean, like you said, if I was a Florida fan, I'd be like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Like, we're still building for the future. Like, you just because you lose a bunch of good players for one game doesn't mean you just shut the thing down. Yeah, it's I'll ridiculous. Take, uh, we'll, we'll accept one-twelfth of your salary back then if, if you coached your last game and played your last game 11 days ago. Yeah, that's embarrassing, man. I got to tell you, you know, earlier this season, whenever his team got into that huge brawl with Missouri – and he ran that out. He kind of started real in, in, in basically instigated the whole thing. I was like, eh, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I've never had any dealings with Dan Mullen. Don't know anything about him. And then that whole thing happens. Then he goes, comes out of the tunnel and then like plays to the crowd, like getting the crowd going. Can you imagine Bob Stoops doing that? Never in a million years. Can you imagine Bob Stoops in a post-game press conference saying anything other than we got out coached, we got outplayed, uh, we should, yeah, we didn't have all of our guys here, but we need to do a better job getting other guys on our roster ready to step up in moments like this. Can you imagine him saying anything other than that? Or Lincoln Riley? That's not what a legitimate coach does. He's not a legitimate coach. He's a clown, and it's a shame uh, a once great program like Florida has that guy at the helm. I think it's embarrassing. I I just couldn't as he was saying the things I I felt like I was watching a TV show or something. I was like, "What is this dude?" Like my first reaction was like, "Well, that's not true." But also like, "What is he doing? What what does he think he's gaining from saying those things?" Because usually, you know, it, it's a means to an end, right? When coaches say, like, there's coach speak for a reason, but I had no idea what he was trying to accomplish saying those things. Like, I, I, I had no clue. So yeah, it's rambling babble trying to cover up the embarrassment that they put out there on the field. Hey, you let's, know what? Let's talk about that. Let's, I, I'm not wasting any more of our time. It's late. I don't want to waste any more of our time on Dan Mullen. He apparently already wasted all of his players' time and his fans' time and everyone that supports that program's time because that game didn't matter. Goodyear, who put up a ton of money to put on the Cotton Bowl and the Cotton Bowl committee that that put a huge effort into playing that football game in a year whenever people have to go above and beyond to pull stuff off like that, to them as well. And I will say this before we recap this game. The Cotton Bowl takes care of you, man. Those fajitas pregame, nice. Good stuff. That's always, good stuff. Always, okay. always do a good job there. Let's start with the most important side of the ball. Let's start with OU's offense. <laughs> of course. I'm just, I'm just messing with you, man. No, but I, the run game, right? Uh, we've, we've been critical 
of OU's offensive line. I've been critical of OU's offensive line. I thought that, you know, for the last couple of weeks heading into this game, they had pull, played below the level they were capable of. And that was true. But they pushed Florida around tonight. And I know they started with, you know, their starters on the defensive line, Zachary Carter, the Slayton kid. Um, I mean, the Cox kid out on the edge. Like, I don't know where those guys went. I don't know if they think there's some high round draft picks. Uh, they have not produced enough in my mind to think I, I, they just disappeared from the football game, but Oh, you just ran it straight down their throat and you can say whatever you want about guys, not playing and guys, not caring Teddy, you know, as well as I do, the last thing you want to do as a football player is put shitty stuff on tape. Like when you step on the field, it lives forever. At no time is a football player that's worth anything that has any type of pride going. You know what? I'm gonna go about sixty percent on this play. Like that 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 doesn't happen. That's not how you. That's not how athletes, human beings, are wired. So I, I do not want to hear any excuse because that tape was rolling the whole time. And like you said, game tape lives forever, and you are what you put on tape. And tonight, Florida gave up 435 yards rushing. That's what happened. We all watched it. They can say whatever the hell they want to say, but that's what happened in between the lines. And that's the best. That's the beautiful part about this game. James Houston can talk all the noise he wants before the game, say they're not on his level, but the game gets decided on the field. And OU pushed them around up front. I was really proud of those kids. That was that was impressive. Yeah, well, you know, here's what happens when you have a horrible coach that apparently puts no emphasis on a Cotton Bowl against an elite Oklahoma football team. Here's what happens. Uh, you show up, and I guess apparently – you don't care about the football game. And as a result of that, you get your ass blown off the football 10 yards and buried in a heap downfield and look like a total garbage football player. That's what happens whenever you say, ah, oh, bowl games are meaningless. Every single person in the country watching that game sees your ass get buried. Every single person that you play next year and scout you sees your ass get buried. Every single scout who is looking at Oklahoma, who is looking at Florida, who is looking at anyone sees your ass get buried. Do you think that scouts who are paid money to evaluate college football players, like that's how they get paid by the guys that they give high grades to that turn out production in the NFL? how they make money do you think those guys just watch film and don't take notes and don't figure out who the players on the field are no they make a profile of every single guy out there every single player and whether or not you're next level capable or not and whenever you show up to a game and you listen to your horrible coach who apparently thinks you played your last game 11 days ago you get your ass buried in front of everyone. And I got news for you. 
Your name is printed right there across the back of the jersey for the entire world to see. And if you're that kind of football player where you can't show up for a Cotton Bowl, you suck. And all you've done is mirror your head football coach. It's embarrassing football. It sucks. It's horrible. You know as well as I do. Uh, You went to the Combine. You sat through those meetings, right? And one of the things NFL general managers and head coaches and position coaches do, one of the things they do in those official meetings at the Combine is they pull up tape when you're hurt and when your team's getting its ass kicked. And they say, what did you look like when this was happening? That is something that happens every single year. Because when you go to the National Football League, you lose a lot more usually than you did if you were an elite college program. And they want to see what you look like when shit isn't going well. And that's why when these people go and evaluate some of these kids from Florida, they got some dudes that are going to play in the league. They got dudes that were going to play in the league, the league that played in that game. They're going to turn that tape on and they're going to go, what the hell was this? Well, we're supposed, we're supposed to think, Hey, what happens if we start Owen three, you know, what happens if we go on a four game losing streak? Are you going to shut it down like this? I, I just, I don't understand it. I don't. And I, we're talking about Florida too much. We're talking about them too much because, yeah. oh, you beat their ass. You said well, it. You of, said uh, it sorry, I, I, I got off on a tangent because our offensive line. Don't be sorry. Was, was burying Florida, burying those guys. And, you know, I thought our running backs looked great. Oh, by the way, uh, Marcus Major came in and played a really nice game. Why was he playing? Why was Marcus Major playing the football game? And did he have an opportunity because someone maybe opted out? Did he have, a, did he have an opportunity to play in that game because someone opted out? And did he go into the game and not care like his head coach, the clown head coach that he has? No. He showed up prepared, showed up willing to, to uh, lay it on the line, and he did so. And he looked great. We're talking about how big of a factor is Marcus Major going to be uh, for this football team next year? That's what happens when you're coached well and not coached by an idiot. Marcus Major, 110 yards, uh, touchdown, ran through a couple souls while he was doing it. Ramondre Stevenson, just some grown man runs. I mean, that one touchdown was absolutely ridiculous, and the run game was impressive. It was. I, you know, Seth McGowan looked like the. The gorilla jumped on his back on that 73-yard run, but still, <laughs> that was pretty good. He, the, the guys in the running back room were going to make fun of him for that one, but it was good to see him out there yeah. making some plays. Been a while, right, for him. But once again, Ted, Rattler's only – it's only his first year starting. And what other than the fumble, he was he was pretty spectacular. Maybe he drifted in the pocket a little bit, you know, forced some pressure on himself a couple times, I thought. But other than that, a couple of those throws, that throw to Mims, I mean, they kicked that thing Beautiful. off. That was – he had a couple throws, again, in this game where you look at it and you go, yeah, the kid's just got it. He's got a gift for throwing the football. He's, he's impressive. And, you know, what's amazing is 
and, and maybe this is just my view of it because I see them so much, but it's it it's not flashy, but it's elite, and that's rare to see someone make it make the throw to Mims or that throw to to Rambo where he's throwing him open. I mean, I was watching, I'm not comparing him to this guy, but I was watching Patrick Mahomes do that uh, down there at Texas Tech, throwing guys to open areas of the field, you know, whenever he's fading away from pressure and letting them make plays. You know, it's it's awesome to see a guy that young make it look so effortless and be able to see the game with such an experienced uh, set of eyes because it's just like you contrast that with the scout team quarterback Kyle Trask on the other side who throws three interceptions. He couldn't see anything. He's throwing the ball. He's predetermining where he's going with the football before he even gets it in his hands on the snap. And he's throwing interceptions out there, pick sixes out there. Looks horrible. Here's yet another guy who follows the leadership of his horrible coach and shows up unprepared to play. And I don't know. If you're going to draft Kyle Trask, you were thinking about it, you like the year he had, how'd you think about that performance? And does a coach getting up there and embarrassing himself in his university uh, change anything about your the way you evaluate him and determine whether or not you're going to spend a, a, a future draft pick on the kid? No, it doesn't. Yeah, and well, we'll get to Trask because he, I mean, he just didn't look like himself, but as far as the receivers go, uh, Weiss had a nice touchdown on what I believe you called a pick play, which is called a rub route, Teddy. We I got to keep <laughs> correcting you on that. That was the block but, of the year. Stogner's best block of the season came on that crossing route, man to man, where he's knocking off beautiful the rub route by Stogner, <laughs> it, and it was good seeing him out there. It was uh, I think once you know once people learn kind of what he's gone Ooh. through over the last. You know, two months, uh, people have a new respect for him getting out there and playing any place in this football game. But I I thought they did a good job. Uh, you know, Mims only had the one catch, right? It was obviously a huge play in the game, but it, the receiver core was reliable, thought they played well, thought they blocked well, right? You You don't have that big of a game running the football if receivers aren't down the field blocking. That's how... That's how, you know, 10-yard runs turn into 40-yard runs is when those wide receivers are getting after it. But, yeah, I thought that offense, but there was that moment in the game, right, where it got to 17 to 13, right, where it was, what was it, fumble, punt, fumble, right, I think is how the sequence went. And the offense put two drives together, two really important drives, kind of stabilized things and – Oh, you dominated from that point. But I, I thought those two drives were, you know, it, it showed a lot about that group where they, they were able to refocus and put two drives together when the defense had been on the field way too much at that point in the game. Yeah, they went 16-play touchdown drive by Florida. Offense goes right out there, two plays, and fumbles it inside the 30, and they force a field goal. I mean, that that's team – football right there that whenever the other side makes a mistake you're right there to get their back and let them off the hook force a field goal there uh that was huge and then that drive uh, to go punch one in settle everything down a little bit extend a little bit 
was fantastic. And it's just a shame that Coach Clown didn't have his run-stopping wide receivers there to help that defense uh, not give up 450 yards on the ground. Wide receivers are the reason they gave up 450 on the ground, I guess. Kadarius Toney would have helped yep. them not give up Dang, 450 those, those yards. Those tackling machines there and uh, that inside the box there for Florida's defense. I'm sorry yes. I keep referencing it. Dude, it's I, ridiculous, man. It's that, it's an embarrassment to the game. Like, agreed. whenever you coach and whenever you play, you respect the game by whenever you go out there and you go between the white lines, you give it everything that you've got, coaches and players alike. And whenever that clown gets on there out in the post game and says those things, it's an embarrassment to the sport and everyone that coaches it at, at any level, at any level should look at it and should call it exactly that. It's shameful. You know what I was thinking about because I, I try not to drop F-bombs on here, and I, I, I've i been realizing ever since I did, right when we started this podcast, I was like, you know what, maybe I'll go edit that out, but the more we talk about the things he said, I'm like, you know what, I'm leaving it. It's staying because it felt right it. and it was correct. Okay, Ted, as always, I lean on you when it comes to how the defense played, but can I just start by saying – I think Kyle Trask is a really good quarterback. You and I both watched a lot of him prepping for this football game. And he had been really, really good. And I don't know what the hell happened to him early in the football game, but I have not seen him look that confused, that uncomfortable. You can say it had something to do with his wide receivers that he'd been working with all year, not being there, but he had the same old line and he had decent protection. I don't know what was going on. He just couldn't see it. I, it he looked panicked. It was bizarre. It had a weird look on his face. And I'm going to attribute to the OU defense getting after his ass. I, I don't know what it was, but he looked awful and he hadn't looked bad all season long. That was, that was something, man. Have you ever had a bad bike wreck or like as a little kid or um, just something kind of semi-traumatic? Yes, rollerblading accident. My brothers and I, we were racing down Huntington Avenue. Uh, shout out to the rough streets in Nichols Hills. And he basically, he basically pushed me into a brick wall, and I, I still have the scar on my left knee. Okay, so. Haven't rollerbladed since. If you've ever been in a wreck, like on, on rollerblades or a bike or a motorcycle, you have to like, you have to get right back up as bad as you're hurt and get on your skates or get on your bike and go and just go. Because if you don't, you're going to be scared that that horrible thing is going to happen again. And when Kyle Trask threw that pick six, in his mind, he said, oh, my God, I just lost the Heisman on that throw. I just lost. I was going to be a first-round draft pick, and it's gone. And he tightened up, and that's all I could think about. That's all I could think about is what did I just cost myself? And once that happens, 
and you can't get back on the bike or get back on the skates and put that behind you, that memory is going to be there right in the front of your thoughts forever. And it was in the front of his thoughts with everything that he did. What he was worried about, and it's again, because he's coached by a clown, what he was worried about is how did that play affect my future? What did that do for me in the things that I have coming up in front of me instead of I've got to get back out there and dial back in for my football team? It's all about how bad is that going to affect me in the future? And he never got it back, never got his touch back. Yeah, maybe it's because his coach said the season was over 11 days ago. Yeah, maybe I so. Still, dude, I, I still can't believe that. But yeah, if I'm Kyle Trask, I'm pissed at my coach for giving up 11 days ago and putting me in an opportunity against a good Oklahoma football team to fail and look like an ass on national television on every TV in the country. My coach set me up to fail because he's an idiot. Yeah. And an embarrassment to the sport and anyone that's ever coached it or played it. So we had the pick six by Norwood, which what a great story for him. I mean, how many picks has he had? What, five? Six? Get the maybe? guy on the field, man. Get he's... the dude on the field. He could play. And he's had a brutal year. Contact tracing, fighting back from an injury at ACL a year ago. It's been brutal on the guy. And he finally sound, found some continuity and was able to get back out on the field with some regularity. And he's been a stud. So what really stood out to you defensively? Obviously, they go with all the Emory Jones stuff, makes it difficult. I'm sure they had planned some for that because they'd showed some of that stuff throughout the season. But I, I can't imagine they thought that the Heisman Trophy finalists that said he was going to play in the game, wouldn't play in, I don't know, what did he play in, maybe 25% of the snaps? Yeah, he came out on a onesie-twosie type basis there at the beginning, and then it was like, holy crap, this is all the offense that we can muster up. If we could keep putting Trask out there, who's, uh, to quote Sam Darnold, seeing ghosts, he's going to continue to turn the football over, so we're going to have to ride with this package, at least for a little while. And once they found themselves back in a football game, guess what they did? They went back to Kyle Trask, couldn't move the ball at all, and had to settle for a field goal whenever they got it inside the 30. So, I mean, that was the shock of, of the game, really, is how that whole thing unfolded. But our defensive line was fantastic. Uh, pressure on the passer all night long. We had quite a bit of trouble with one formation that they were running out of the Emory Jones package. Whenever they're running back to uh, the nub side, whenever they've got our our corner safety to that side in the fit, something we weren't doing something right, and they were blowing that open. You know, fifteen, eighteen, twenty yard runs left and right. That's where the bulk of their their yardage came from. Was that one formation, that one little group of plays out of it? Uh, but I thought we played several inside backers. Uh, they were all sharp, prepared, ready to play. Uh, way down the depth chart. That's because they're coached well, not coached by a clown. Um, I thought our secondary saw Robert Barnes, a guy that's played inside backer all year, uh, show up, get to play some safety the last couple of games. Why? Because it matters to him. It matters to his coaches that he's not coached by idiots. Um, you know, I thought our corners 
Trey Brown, by the way, Oklahoma, in fact, had guys opt out as well. Trey Brown, one of the leaders on this team, starting corner, uh, opted out. And I thought uh, Washington and Graham played great at corner considering. Um, I, I, I thought they did really good. Didn't stick out. Uh, were locked down. I thought Graham was tight, really tight on some coverage. Yeah, he got he got banged up the hip and didn't didn't go back in the game. But yeah, you know I, I why he to... got banged up? He got banged up because a two hundred and twenty pound running back is barreling down on him at a fifteen uh, yards run right at him, and he's given up all that weight. And what's he do? He goes and meets it head on because he's coached well. It means something for him to play. He knows that once he steps out between the white lines, it's on film, and that's what you do. Whenever you're out there, you give it everything you got. You don't act like a clown like the guy on the other sideline. You play football like it means something every single time that you're out there. That's how he got hurt because it means something to him, and he's going to go get obliterated by a big running back for his teammates that are out there with him. I have a feeling you're a really big Dan Mullen fan now. It's just a feeling. I, the, I, I thought the defense played really well. I, I know that Asamoa dropping the second interception he could have had caused you physically oh. pain. Caused you physical <laughs> pain. Oh uh, man! I mean, hey, he was in a great spot. Made a great he read was right on the there. football. Just the worst thing sometimes is whenever the ball's thrown directly at you. I. If it's off to the side or it gets on you quickly and you Especially just react. Especially for guys that play linebacker. Right. That's this is that's exactly what I'm talking about. Whenever you could just react and not say, oh, my God, here it comes. That's whenever you drop them. But uh, there's not much to complain about. Like you said, gave up some chunk runs. You know, they had some drops in the vertical passing game that they probably could have, I mean, shorter he looks like a million dollars, but he doesn't play like a million dollars. That kid's got yeah. a long way to go. Um, maybe he'll play as good as he looks at some point, and I will eat my words there. But I, I thought that they were disruptive. Again, I'll give Florida some credit. I was watching that O-line closely. They did a hell of a job passing off a lot of those twist games that that OU was using up front. I mean, I, I thought those kids played, you know, pretty hard and executed pretty well and they just they never ran the ball and yeah. if that well, passing game's not clicking i maybe their offensive line coach isn't an idiot and wants to prepare his offensive line why because if he ever wants to coach in college football or the next level you've got to have a group that looks like they're coached well and care about the football game maybe that's why i don't know that could be it any Final observations other than you want this to be over so we can go to sleep. Yeah, Florida's got some punters. Holy, <laughs> dude, they were the best players on their team. They had two different guys just dropping bombs. Finn, the guy that hit that first one, he that was the one of the biggest punts I've ever seen. Eight, about 80 yards in the air. That was amazing. And then just hit and checked up seven-yard line fantastic but they must not have been in team meetings special teams guys fringe part of the team they didn't get the horrible message from their joke are, of a head are coach. the are there are the punter scout team guys too because well, 
they, they got, got a hell of a, a, hell scout, of a team scout team punter. punter then. <laughs> I will say this. You know, a lot of stuff was coming out after the game. I didn't hear anything from James Houston, and I don't think we called his name all night. How are you going to talk shit and then not even play when the starting backers aren't playing? I mean, what? Uh, what? What? Uh, how? How? It's interesting, you know, a a guy making a statement like that towards Oklahoma, which is fine. I love it. That's fine. Give me all the give me all the noise. But does a guy say that that doesn't care? Is that a statement that a guy that doesn't care about the football game would make? Typically not, Ted. Typically not. Done that up. Hmm. Uh, some exciting stuff. Isaiah Thomas tweets after the game, back and better next year. Love you, Sooner Nation. And then Nick Benito quote tweets it saying, it's going to be crazy, brudda. I, I also ha- heard Ramondre Stevenson in the post-game interview with uh, Chris Plank, which shout out to at Plank Plank show. crushed it, man. What a job. A couple days Fantastic. notice to slide into the play-by-play seat. And I'm sounds like our man T. Rose feeling a little better, but what a job by Plankster. No, he killed it. He did a fantastic job, and he's I'm sure he's starting his national radio show right about now. Uh, the guy's an animal. But, um, yeah, I mean, Ramondre Stevenson in that post-game interview was talking about we're going to be focused through winter workouts. We're going to be focused whenever we get back to practice in the spring. And Plank was like, we? Are you coming back? Well, I mean, what's going on here? And then he's like, well, you know, I got to talk to you know my family and coaches and see what the best decision is. But I thought that was interesting. At least tells me that maybe Ramondre hasn't made his decision yet. I will say this. Do you remember a couple years ago when all those guys came back on defense for Clemson? Mm-hmm. And they were just – they were an absolute problem, right? I'm really hoping something like that happens with this team because hey. we've been saying it, Ted. Next year, it it could be the year. I mean, it could. With the momentum they're carrying into this offseason, man. I. It's fun to play well. It's fun. You're damn right it is, To play well. And whenever, whenever guys are making production, tackles for loss, sacks, you say, man, you know, with where I started this year, where I finished, I may be able to get drafted and, and make a team. But if I have a full run at it next year, if we continue to make the jumps that we did from last year to this year and, and this year to next, maybe I'm a first rounder. Maybe I'm a second rounder. Maybe I can make some real money. And the main person I'm talking about is Ronnie Perkins. If, if Ronnie Perkins comes back and can have a full run at it i think he could make himself a lot of money now he's kind of a tweener with size and where he fits at the next level um i just i don't know that he's going to be a stand-up guy and he's a little undersized for putting his hand down i don't think that he's just going to go out and run a four or five and just blow people away you know he's 
He's listed at like 6'2", 245, and, you know, I, I don't think it's a big 6'2". You know, he plays great, and the film is great, but in order to be, you know, some of those high-round draft picks, it's got you got to check every single box. So I think he could make a lot of money by coming back. Yeah. We'll see. A uh, couple guys got decisions to make. We'll obviously be following that closely here on the pod. You got anything else? Yeah. If anyone who loves football as a fan, as a player, as a coach, as anyone that has anything to do with the game at any level, has any integrity, they'll clown Dan Mullen for the rest of his career and shame him into eternity. Okay. I I feel like we've built, you know, a consistent listenership at this point, by the way, Ted, this episode, I checked the numbers right before we started. Uh, Once we drop this episode, we will surpass 250,000 total downloads Mm. since we started this thing, which love it is pretty damn cool. Um, but y'all all go do us a favor. Uh, Dan Mullen's Twitter is at Coach Dan Mullen. Tag him and just say you're a clown because <laughs> what he pulled after that game, I I can't respect a guy that, that disrespects the game and disrespects right. your, the opponent like that. I just can't, man. That's... Also, ask Goodyear what they think of their sponsorship of the Cotton Bowl and Dan Mullen didn't want to prepare his team. Ask the Cotton Bowl committee and their Twitter handle what they think of a coach not preparing his team. I wonder how the Florida athletic director feels about it. Huh? Yeah, the guy that's paying him way too much money. We'll see how he feels about it. Yeah, sure. Let us know. Yeah, let us know. Let us know how you feel. Oh, one thing. I almost forgot. Oh man, I almost forgot. But our our boy, the wizard. Oh my I mean, god! I mean, what? Uh, how? How? He, uh, let's revisit it one time. This is from at ou underscore Morgan. This was on November eleventh. He said, "OU wins out, gains the sixth consecutive Big Twelve championship, narrowly misses the playoffs." and absolutely smashes an SEC team in a good bowl game. Oh, and the defense finishes in the top 15 in total defense. At OU underscore Morgan, you will, from now on, well, and then be known he backed as the wizard. It up, he backed it up again, though, by talking about the interceptions, right? The turnovers. He, he's, he's good. He's good. He's we call him the wizard for a reason. Well, I don't know what type of sorcery is going on there, but we're gonna I like it. Let's keep him on our good side. I like it. I like it. All right, Ted. Let's get to the semifinals preview with Andy Staples. That interview is brought to you by Insurica. Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk, 
Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. Okay, here's our buddy, Andy Staples. It is our pleasure to be joined by, in my opinion, the best writer that covers college football. Uh, you can catch all his work at The Athletic. You can also find The Andy Staples Show anywhere you get podcasts. So if you're listening to this podcast, uh, listen to Andy's. It's great. Andy, how we doing, man? Cross-pollination. Love it. <laughs> now, we are we're recording this before the Cotton Bowl takes place. Now, you're, you're here to help us preview the semifinal games because you're really important and you know a lot about college football, so that, that's, why, that's why we brought you in, uh, to make us look good. But would you like to make any sort of prediction for the Cotton Bowl right now so that way when we play this on Thursday that you can either look really intelligent or really stupid? I'm going to say something that I'm sure no one has said since this matchup was made, take the over. <laughs> right. Boy, that's I mean, <laughs> that Florida defense against that Oklahoma offense, it's I, – I've got a good feeling there's going to be a lot of points scored. Now, I realize Oklahoma's defense has been much better this year, but they have not seen a collection of skilled guys like this, and they're not playing the best version of it because Kyle Pitts won't be there. But it's, it's really interesting how deep Florida went this season in terms of targets for – for Kyle Trask. So I, I just think it's going to be a fun shootout. I, I think probably somewhat similar to what the SEC championship game looked like. And uh, I, I think, you know, maybe Florida probably has the advantage in this case, as opposed to Alabama having the SEC championship. But I think that sort of back and forth is, is what I'd expect. I hope so. I mean, we are going into this thing off of our two lowest outputs in Lincoln Riley uh, coaching history on offense. So this is a little bit worrisome, but he's, he's we'll good see. at finding mismatches and, and there are mismatches to be found with Florida's defense. They had a couple young linemen that, that it looks like they're, they may get there, but I, I think Rattler's going to have some time to throw. So I think, I think they'll be all right. Okay, Andy, let's start with the Rose Bowl? It's still the Rose Bowl, right? <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm allowed to call it. I guess we're calling it the Rose Bowl because, you know, we had heard when they were talking about moving it that they weren't going to call it the Rose Bowl because it, it has to be the game in Pasadena to be called the Rose Bowl. But I guess the Tournament of Roses and, and everybody else said, nah, you can call it the Rose Bowl just, just this once. But I, I feel like we should call it something else, like the Jerry Bowl or the, the Cadillac Barbecue Bowl. I, it's something, something like that. I, it just seems weird calling it the Rose Bowl and it's played in Jerry World. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't make much sense, but uh, that's what they're still calling it, I guess. I mean, it's better though. to have it in Dallas at Jerry's World than it is to not have it at all, to not be represented anywhere, I guess. I mean, that would be my thinking. I guess, but I, I mean, I don't know. It's not like anybody's going to forget what the Rose Bowl is if they don't play True. the Rose Bowl this year. Yeah, so when I look at this game, uh, I look at the matchup between Notre Dame's defense, who I think is good, right? Despite what 
Clemson and Trevor Lawrence just did to them in the ACC championship game. Like they've got good players at all three levels. I really like that defensive line for the fighting Irish, but this Bama offense, man, I mean, what, what can you say? It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Can Notre Dame slow them down at all? I'm not sure there's a defense in the country that can slow them down. That, that's the problem. I mean, I'm trying to think, it, was there an elite defense in the country at all this year? I'm not sure there was one. I mean, Cincinnati's was pretty good, but we don't really know because how, how much were they tested. Now, UCF scored 33 on them. But really, who, who could slow this team down? Like, I actually think from a styles make fight standpoint – Florida might have been the best opponent for them because Florida at least could keep pace with them offensively. I'm just not sure there's anybody that, that can score like they can score. Cause it's, and, and the craziest part of this is Jalen Waddle, who an NFL talent evaluator would tell you was the best player on the team was hurt early on. And they've done all this without him. Like they, they didn't miss a beat. Steve Sarkeesian has, has done an amazing job and, you know, I, I I know he was looked at for some head coaching jobs this year, but I'm guessing that that he's working his way toward a pretty big job, maybe an, even an NFL head coaching job with the, the job he's done on, uh, on Bama's offense this year. Quick break to tell you about our friends at Rock and Roll Tequila. Rock and Roll Tequila is the ultra premium tequila that hits all the right notes. It's won all kinds of awards for its superior taste and smooth finish. To find a store that has it, visit rockandrolltequila.com or check out their Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This stuff is fantastic. If you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you'll listen to this guy. This is Coach Bob Stoops. When you're a college football coach, it's important to have an eye for talent. The same holds true when choosing your tequila. When I tried rock and roll, I liked it so much, I decided to become a partner in this Oklahoma-owned company. Crafted in the highlands of Jalisco, Mexico, the smooth taste of rock and roll's triple distilled platinum, our Añejo, called Cristalino, and the incredible premium quality mango tequila are awesome. Our defiantly unique guitar-shaped bottles make it easy to find, and you'll love the ultra-premium quality and taste. No excuses. Make rock and roll your game day tequila. Tastefully rebellious, start the party with rock and roll. I mean, it's amazing to think that on a team where you've got two Heisman Trophy finalists. Yes. That maybe your best player missed a bunch of time and isn't on that list. And in my opinion, the best player on the team got a snub. So Najee Harris? Have, yeah. I, you could reasonably say that all four of those guys, that, that should have been your four Heisman finalists right there. Well, and Najee Harris makes them – that's what makes them so different is the offensive line and Najee Harris because they can beat you in so many ways. They can make the game whatever it needs to be to win the game. You know, Notre Dame's going to play a little bit slower. They're going to play two tight ends. They're going to try to run the ball, which I think they should be able to run the ball on Alabama. Maybe not as well as they did against Clemson in that first meeting because Clemson had, had some pretty key guys out on defense. But I do think they can, they can move the ball a little bit on the ground against Alabama. But the problem is anytime you score on them, they can just put a stake in your heart 45 seconds later. Like they don't care. And, and it, like the, the Florida game is a great example. You know, Nick Saban, I, I think, has such a good clock in his head for number of possessions 
that it's going to take to win a game. Y'all, y'all remember that first Clemson national championship game where he kicks the onside to steal a possession because he knew they couldn't stop Clemson's offense. Same thing in that SEC championship game. You know, normally they're just going to hand off and, and go to the, the locker room at halftime. But he knew how many possessions he's going to need to win that game. He's like, okay, we got like a minute. Let's do this. And just boom, right down the field. I mean, that, that's what they are. But then if they get a lead against a team like Notre Dame, which they know can't score that quickly, they could just take the air out of the ball and, and have some six, seven-minute drives with that line blocker for Najee Harris. Now, they do have Landon Dickerson. Their starting center is out, so they, they've got to go with the backup there. But it's one of those they're so deep on the offensive line that, I, that it will make a difference in terms of communication, in terms of IDing who's who and, and who's doing what. But in terms of raw talent level, I don't think it changes much. Andy, you, you mentioned what Notre Dame wants to do offensively, right? We've seen it, run it with that talented offensive line. Uh, Kyron Williams has been good. Ian Book using his legs, right? But when we've seen this Alabama defense get exposed, it's by teams that had powerful passing attacks. Do you think if Notre Dame has to do it, if they fall behind and have to rely on Ian Book throwing the football a lot, do you think they can be competitive in this game, or do you think that it would really get away from them? If no, that's they, what they've got to be able to do both. They, they've got to be able to keep Alabama's defense honest. Now, what Ian Book can do – that we have seen somebody have success against Alabama with is Ian book can, can get out of a broken play and make something out of it, either, either scramble around and make a throw or get some positive yardage. And I think that's what helped Ole Miss and Matt Corral when they played Alabama and they, they came the close uh, as close as anybody except for Florida. And they scored 49 points on, on Alabama's defense. And I think a lot of it was because they underestimated how much Matt Corral could move. They assumed John Rice Plumley was the guy who could really move, which is true. He can, but Corral is a very good runner. And so they'd flush him out of the pocket. He'd go get a first down. They get tired because they're, they're still on the field. And that helped Ole Miss. And Ole, the other thing that helped Ole Miss is being very decisive. Like when they went for fourth downs, they knew, before the third down play that they were going for a fourth down. So they would have situations. There was one situation where they ran a play on third down. They didn't make it. And within seven seconds, they were ready to snap the ball in the fourth down play. And you, that's not going to be Notre Dame. That's not how they operate. So, you know, that's tempo is one way to get Alabama a little bit out of sorts, but that's not going to be Notre Dame. Notre Dame is going to have to do what they do, but to do that, you're going to have to have some success running the ball. I don't know if they will. I think, you know, you look at the second matchup against Clemson when, when Tyler Davis was back and you're playing a backup. I think they might be on a third string center at this point. And he's just getting pushed back in the middle of every play. Well, that's really hard to establish a run game when that's happening. It made me sad, Andy. I felt so bad for the kid. I know. And, and, and there's, what are you supposed to do? I mean, that, that's the problem that he's obviously the best they've got right now. And when you're playing against a man child like Tyler Davis, there's, there's not much you can do now. Alabama's not, there's not, they don't have a Quinn and Williams or, or Deron Payne right now, but they've got enough talent up front to, to give you problems if you're not full strength. Have we ever seen in college football, a coach or a team do a complete 
reversal in philosophy and stay relevant the whole time. Because I, what was it, 2012 when Alabama and LSU played in what, a 9-6 national championship? Yeah, 2011 and, season, 9-6 was the regular season game in overtime, by the way. And then right. they played a, a 21 nothing national title game. That's right. Where LSU didn't cross midfield until the fourth quarter. So, so you, you, less than a decade ago, we're talking about a, def, a team that was so defensively minded mm-hmm. that, you know, it's not that they didn't have good offensive players. They did. There's been great NFL players come off of those offenses, yep. but it was just slow and methodical. And now he didn't flip the switch. It's been like, Turning well, you know, an ocean you know liner fault around. This was right. This is who's that? Hugh Freeze and Kevin Sumlin's fault. Yeah, they showed up in the SEC in 2012. Freeze didn't Saban beat him in 2012. About it as long as he could. Yeah. Man. Well, here's here's the thing, and we've we figured this out over the years. Remember when Saban got up and said, "Is this is this what we want football to be?" Right. That wasn't him complaining. He was just asking. <laughs> right. and when we said yes genuinely curious yeah and when we said yes he's like okay sounds good to me and and really i mean but you can look back and they had they had modified their recruiting as of the the recruiting cycle of 2000 going into the 2014 class so in 2012 you know they, they pretty much got their 2013 class in the boat at that point so 2014 on they start they start changing their form, their, their recruiting philosophy. Gone are the 340 pound nose tackles. In are the 300 pound nose tackles, who you can also play at tight end if you want to run a trick play like Ron Payne. Uh, gone are 260 pound inside linebackers like Dante Hightower. In are 230 pound inside linebackers, and then uh, 220 pound guys that can play sideline to sideline. That Landon Collins would be a safety. I'm sorry, Landon Collins would be a linebacker on this team. He wouldn't play safety for Alabama at this point. They were the first team, and I I think it was 2015 when they did it, to have five guys who were recruited as corners as their secondary. Like, when when they went nickel, there were five guys on the field who had been recruited as cornerbacks. And that's just – now everybody does that. Now now what the archetypes are for each position has changed because offenses have changed, but – Nick Saban changed it first. Quick break to tell you about our friends at Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. Their licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. Okay, back to Andy. Andy, looking at it right now, Crimson Tide are a 19-and-a-half-point favorite. Do you think Notre Dame has any chance in this football game? No. No, I think Alabama covers, and – I wish it were different. I, I wish this was going to be a good game. And, and Notre Dame may be able to keep it close for a little while, but it's one of those things where Alabama's depth, plus, like we were talking about, the ability of them to change the way they play based on the situation. You know, if Notre Dame wants to play a slugfest, they'll play them in a slugfest. And they might not cover doing that, but they'll, they'll beat them comfortably. They'll, they'll take a lead and just sit on it. If Notre Dame scores a couple quick ones, well, Alabama will match and then exceed that's just that offense is whenever they want to flip the switch they can flip the switch 
And I don't think there's a defense in the country that can keep them from doing it. I think if, if somebody beats them, whether that, you know, let's say they, they win this game and they face Ohio State or Clemson in the national title game, if they lose, it'll be because somebody scored with them. It's been pretty unlucky for Notre Dame. What? Because they had the Unreal Clemson team right mm-hmm. in in eighteen, and now yep. they get the Unreal Alabama team. So uh, it's tough on them. But um, who's going to be the standout? I mean, it seems like every game with Alabama that there's someone else, like whether it's Najee Harris or Devontae, like. Everyone thought whenever uh, Waddle was gone, like, oh, no, are they going to do it wide receiver? It's like, what are you talking about, Devontae Smith? Is there anyone else that we haven't really heard of for Alabama that could make some huge impact on this football game? Well, I don't – John Mechie hasn't had the massive numbers game yet, and I think he's probably earned the right for that. Now, what John Mechie can do, as we learn in the SEC championship game, he should play both ways. He like, they should put safety. him in safety. He can <laughs> – knock your block off man he knocked the shit out of that kid it was unbelievable oh. i was like that's a receiver what why <laughs> just put him in safety amazing yeah, yeah I, I i i just it, it is amazing that they they have so much to go to this this kind of feels like a naji kind of game though i agree i will say uh, jaleel billingsley is one i i would watch He's a tight end. He's a sophomore. He's 6'4", 230. You watch the way they use him now. It kind of looks like how Florida was using Kyle Pitts early on, not early this season, but early in his career. And it looks like they can develop him into that kind of weapon as he gets older. And so that's one of those where he there may be a breakout game for him at some point down the road. All right, Andy, let's look at the Sugar Bowl uh, Clemson, Ohio State, and, and before we kind of look at the matchup right on the field, things getting a little chippy heading I love this it. one, right? Just a love little it. chippy. I, I love that. I, I want that. I want that in every game. I love trash talk. Everybody's like, oh, you you got to act like you've been there. No, no, no. Go yell at each other. You Go rank one of the teams number 11. Like, if I'm Mickey Marotti, the strength coach at Ohio State, I am printing out T-shirts that say, number 11 and if they win the game all of them strip off their shoulder pads at the same time and walk to shake walk in a line to shake Davos Sweeney's hand wearing t-shirts to say number 11 what did you think about him being included though I mean I'm fine I will say that I've I I'm in a little bit of agreement with with Davo in this that you know if, if you don't play nearly as many games than playing all the games. Is that the Ohio State football team's fault? Because yeah, last I checked. Big tens. Yeah, it's but big last tens. I checked, the Ohio State football team was trying to tell the Big Ten, this is stupid. Can we please play? So why should they be punished? Because their conference is dumb. Because their conference is dumb, just plain and simple. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, but that's not a good that's reason. That's not a good enough reason when they're a good team. So I, I'm fine with them being there. And they can prove whether they belong or not. And look, whether it's them or Texas A&M, I like their chances against Clemson better than I like Texas A&M's chances against Clemson. I don't yeah. – but with what we saw from Clemson in the ACC championship game, I'm not sure I like either of those teams. Well, now, here's the thing about Ohio State. We haven't actually seen them at full strength yet. They've had so many issues with COVID where, like Michigan State, their center's out and, and 20 other players are out. Uh, Against Northwestern, Chris Olave and 
like 19 other players are out. So this is as close to full strength as we're going to see Ohio State. And so how we're going to see how they can handle Clemson. Uh, that they that they haven't had any real time to to fully oh, mesh as a unit. Oh, it hurts them, but that's again, you do what you can. So there's a pandemic on. You do the best you can. So I don't know that that's that they're going to be completely ready for Clemson, but they have the best chance of actually beating Clemson of anybody they could have put against Clemson. Yeah, I uh, I think Ohio State has an incredible amount of talent on that roster, but. Andy, the weird thing for me is what we've seen from Justin Fields lately. Mm -hmm. Hasn't played particularly well heading into this football game. So uh, I look at Notre Dame's win over Clemson, right, in South Bend, and I wonder, is is that the game plan that Ryan Day and Ohio State should go with where where they're controlling things on the ground, where they're handing the ball to Master Teague and Trey Sermon? Trey Sermon, yeah. Yeah, I I mean – do you With think that that's line, the better way for them to win this game is to really control time of possession, yeah. try to control things on the ground? Well, remember they went up, I think it was 16 nothing in the Fiesta Bowl last year, and J.K. Dobbins was averaging 15.8 yards of carry before he rolled his ankle. So, I mean, they, they were controlling the ball on the ground, and that did allow Justin Fields to have a little more time. That you know, Because Brent Venables and, and his defense were not ready for that. They thought they were going to come out slinging – they didn't. They came out running the ball really well, and it probably would have led them to a win if Dobbins doesn't get hurt. So if they can do what they did with – and I don't know if they can run Sermon the way they did against Northwestern. Northwestern basically said, we're going to let you run on us, and but if you try to throw on us, we're going to make life miserable for you. And that's exactly what they did. And, you know, I was talking to somebody who who – is much better with passing game X's and O's than I am. And they were saying basically that, you know, a lot of those plays, there's one read, there's one guy and everybody else is basically running a clear out route and Northwestern would just jump all over the one guy and say, Justin Fields, throw it. Cause, and the thing is with fields is a lot of times he'll see that and he'll see the guys jumped on it and then he'll make something happen. He'll either run around for a few seconds, get a scramble drill going and hit some other receiver who is then popped open or he'll take off running. And he doesn't seem as confident doing that now, which is weird because last year he was completely confident no matter what was in his face. Quick break to tell you about our friends at Sound Advice. A lot of us are watching our favorite football teams from home this year, which is why you need to get ready for game day with a home theater system from our friends at Sound Advice. Sound Advice can customize your home entertainment system indoors or outdoors. Sound Advice did the Wi-Fi network and all the audio visual at my new house, and it is awesome. They hide all the wires in the cable boxes so it looks great, and I can control every TV in my house from my phone, and my internet has been flawless. For the best home theater systems in the Oklahoma City area, call Sound Advice at 405-549-3880 or visit soundadviceokc.com. Okay, back to Andy. Yeah, um, yeah. It's been a weird year. I mean, even for, for Trevor Lawrence, it's been a little bit weird. But as Gabe pointed out, uh, they look like a juggernaut there whenever they came out against Notre mm-hmm. Dame. But uh, what is it that, that you've seen really started to click for, for Clemson later in the season? You know, a lot of people point at just motivation. Like this team's been so good recently. Maybe they're not motivated till they get into games that, that have some real substance to them. Well, and I think that's been Clemson for a while. Uh, that 2000. 18 team kind of messed around a little bit and and you thought okay are they going to be able to 
to come through. And and yeah, they 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 flipped the kill mode switch later in the season. You know, 2016, they lose to Pitt in November. You know, you 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 knew there there was a possibility that they might be in trouble. They they needed a, a kind of miracle drive at Florida State to win that game. They lose they, they needed a miracle against NC State to win that game. They lose to Pitt. But then when they needed to, they turn it on. So that's sort of been Clemson's MO over the years. And yeah, it seems like they know when when it's time to go win. And they seem to have flipped that switch now. Now, they are not probably as deep as they'd like to be, especially in terms of offensive skill. You know, we're used to seeing those massive receivers like Mike Williams, like T. Higgins, uh, Justin Ross. Ross got hurt and, and had to miss this entire season. Uh, Joseph Nagata is hurt and he's not on the depth chart for this game. So the thought is he's not going to be playing. So they, they've really had to change their passing game because Amari Rogers is, is definitely their best receiver this year. And he's a smaller guy. So they, they've had to do more with him. Cornell Powell's another kind of slot receiver type guy uh, that they've had to work with. And I think it's interesting because this game last year, the, this festival last year is where you saw them kind of discover what Travis Etienne can be as a receiver and he's been a big part of their passing game this year. I mean, he caught 44 passes this year. You look at what Ohio State's looked like this year on defense, right? It, they don't have that difference maker coming off the edge uh, like right. we're used to seeing, like a Chase Young or a Bosa yeah. brother. That They just don't have that guy right now, right? I, it's, I've it's, sort been, of like, it's sort of like Clemson after losing Farrell and Austin Bryant. Right. That they That's were kind of the comparison. same thing. It, you know, it, it ju- you just get that second longer. And I, I rewatched the Fiesta Bowl from last year earlier on Sunday. And Chase Young, you you forget how dominant he was. And that's playing against really good competition. He he was a man among boys, even against a team like Clemson. Have you been surprised that Ohio State's secondary has looked the way it's looked? Especially Sean Wade, like – everyone was expecting big things from that kid. And at yeah. some points it seems like teams are almost even picking on him. Now. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, he was a great nickel corner and this was his chance to, to move into that spot that Jeffrey Okuda was in last year and show that he can be that lockdown guy against your best receiver. And he's not been that all the time. He's had games where he's been that, but against better competition, he struggled doing that. So yeah, I and and it'll be curious to see what Clemson does with that. You know, how often is he matched up on Amari Rogers? Because Rogers is it feels like Rogers has been in college for 50 years. Like it feels like he played for Danny Ford. Yeah, he's t- he's taking that Hunter Renfro mantle, but he, he's just he's a really wily veteran receiver because he's been he's been a contributor since he was a freshman. But this is the first time he's had to be the guy. And it's been fun to watch because he just comes up with a lot of different ways to get open. What about ETN? It seems like he's just kind of have a weird season. Um, I, I thought coming off of last year, the season he had last year, that this could be a Heisman Trophy type of opportunity for him and kind of got off to a bit of a slow start, had some weird fumble turnover issues in there. What are you seeing from him, or what do you expect in this playoff from him? Well, his per carry average is actually way down. It's it's 5.6, which is still great. But when you consider that it was over 7 last year and over 8 the year before that, 
It's just that I, I think teams have loaded up to stop him because I think you can. I think you, you can risk that extra guy in the box against Clemson now because they don't have T. Higgins because Justin Ross is not playing this year. So I think it, you you can run the risk of putting that guy down there to try to limit Travis Etienne. The, the difference is I think they figured out how to use him more out of the backfield as a, as a receiving target. So his effect on the game hasn't really changed. He's still probably the scariest guy if you're the opposing defensive coordinator, but it's just not the same way. You, you don't have to, you haven't had to worry about him popping you for eight yards every time he touches the ball. All right, Andy, as of now, Clemson, a seven and a half point favorite there in the sugar bowl. I, I don't know what will happen if, Clemson gets Ohio State's best shot. I don't even know what the best version of Ohio State looks like. That, that's what makes this game so hard to predict. Exactly. That, that, what do you think, man? Uh, I mean, how do you see it going? I think Clemson wins at something like 35 to 30. And that it is back and forth. And uh, But I think Trevor Lawrence ultimately proves to be the difference maker, just like he did last year. You know, remember, Ohio State was in firm control but everything really started to turn when Trevor Lawrence broke that long touchdown run. And then it was like, oh, wait, he can do that? We didn't know that. And that, that sort of changed the tone. And I realized the Ohio State fans, if, if any are listening, are going, wait, what about the Sean Wade targeting pill? Yes, that was a big deal, too. That was a very big deal. But that Trevor Lawrence touchdown run, it felt like the whole tone of the game changed when that happened. And so – I think that's the thing he's and it's going to be weird because the Heisman trophy is going to get announced after the game. And if he has a huge game, but then doesn't win the Heisman, people are going to be like, what, how come they didn't vote for him? And it, well, because the votes were already in. This is one of those cases where if he had a monster game, people who voted him second or third might bump him up to first. Dabo is going to be insufferable if that happens. Oh, my God. Here's my theory on this, though, guys. I I don't know exactly how this is going to shake out. I mean, obviously, the votes have already been counted, so the the accounting firm already knows who won, but we don't. But what if if Trevor Lawrence won because he was second on 90% of the ballots and the first place votes just got scattered around a bunch of different people? Quick break to tell you about Tim Hughes Custom Homes. Are you looking to build your dream home? If so, Tim Hughes is the man you're looking for. Tim Hughes Custom Homes is a one-stop shop for all your home building needs. He can find you a lot. He can find you architect. He'll find you financing. And of course, he can build your dream home exactly the way you want it. Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, Tim found my wife and me a lot. He found us an architect and built our new house. Tim and his team were so easy to work with. He is still helping us when we have questions about things around the house. He's also built several office buildings. So if your business is looking to build a custom office, Tim Hughes is your man. You can see Tim's custom builds throughout Gallardia, Nichols Hills, Oak Tree, Stone Mill, and Rose Creek. It is a great time to build the house of your dreams. For more information to see Tim's spectacular work, visit his Instagram page at Tim Hughes Custom Homes or visit TimHughesCustomHomes.com. Okay, back to Andy. I guess the Alabama guys could all split votes, right? Well, remember, Najee Harris probably got some votes too and did not wind up a finalist. So, yeah, and and Kyle Trask, I think, probably got a lot of votes too, but then he also, I think, is going to get dinged for that LSU game right before everybody voted. Who do you think, um, and maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but and, and maybe we just don't know with Ohio State, but is Clemson the best shot at Alabama? 
I think, I mean, I so. think we all feel pretty strongly that Alabama's coming out of that uh, other other semifinal. I mean, is is it Clemson that we we'd want to see in that game? I think so. I think I think you default to the team with the best quarterback, and Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback of the, of this bunch. I mean, of, of all the four teams, of, well, of all the teams, that, there's a reason he's going number one in the draft next year. So that's that's what I would default to, just because. We've also seen him beat Alabama like that before. We've seen a lot of these same Clemson players beat Alabama like that. And an Alabama team that going into that game we thought was unstoppable. You know, that's the part everybody forgets about 2018. We spent that entire season saying Alabama's unbeatable. And they sure look like it. They, you know, they they take the best shot of of that Kyler Murray, Oklahoma team. And and really, if they don't get three straight stops to start that game, that's a tight game at the end. So there may have been some warning signs that we kind of missed, but, and I guess the SEC championship game where Georgia controlled the game for about three quarters until Jalen Hurts showed up should have been the warning sign that we all missed. But we thought Alabama was just going to roll Clemson in that game and Clemson won without much trouble. So I, I don't think, and, and this is where I think having no real non-conference play really handicaps this too. It makes it very hard to figure out what's going to happen because yes, Alabama was great against the SEC. Yes. We think the SEC at least at the top was pretty good this year, but we don't know because we didn't get to see him play anybody else. So that's the part that, that I'm, I'm kind of excited about. And I feel like, I feel like with Notre Dame, we have a basic idea because we, we got to see him play Clemson twice and we got to see him play two different States of Clemson. The other three I, I don't know against one another because we, it doesn't feel like they've played anything comparable. Teddy's going to be so sad if Ohio State beats Clemson in that semifinal. <laughs> All See, he's I been just, saying, oh, Andy, is that Ohio God. State doesn't deserve it to doesn't be there. Bother they me only and, played and six it, games. It, it especially oh doesn't gosh. bother me because it's Ohio State because they were the ones fighting to play the entire right. time. You know, and, and, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that that they had the same mindset as these other teams. They just weren't among a group of like-minded people like the other teams were. Well, go read all of Andy's stuff at The Athletic. If you're not a subscriber, what are you doing? Come on. <laughs> That's right. Come, come to The Athletic. Absolutely. We, I think we're still doing the Christmas deal where if you buy one subscription, you get one free to gift to a friend or family member, which, by the way, will make you that person's favorite friend or family member. Nice. Uh, true story. Got my dad a subscription to The Athletic for his birthday. How about that? Awesome. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Gabe, oh, yeah. And he loves it. it. Keeping the he lights on. I love it. Good. And then go if – obviously, if you're listening to this, you're a podcast listener, sir. So go check out Andy's podcast, The Andy Staples Show. Andy, always appreciate the time, man. You're the best. Gentlemen, it is a pleasure. That interview with Andy Staples was brought to you by Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. They know that children need to be in school and are doing everything possible to make that happen. Bishop McGinnis students were welcomed back last August and saw very few interruptions in 2020. With a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. And episode 72, 
in the books. We'll have a new podcast that will drop Monday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400, and you can hear me from 3 to 5 on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great weekend. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. And do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more